Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of July 13th, 2021, and this is officially episode number 484, and this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com, and uh, welcome everybody to the chat room, welcome everybody live, and uh, otherwise, if you're not alive, well, we got problems. Uh, but I do appreciate everybody showing up in chat. Uh, generally put that link out uh, a day or so out on the, the website or on the uh, Facebook site. You can also find it uh, at paranewsinsider.com, the official website home of the Paranormal News Insider, uh, as well as paranormalking.com, the official uh, parent home of the show and many other fantastic shows that are live here during the week. Uh, so this week we've got uh, a little bit of news uh, that uh, I skipped over my four-week, what you call it, uh, not really a vacation, but uh, um, a few weeks that I took that I wasn't here. Uh, there's a little bit of uh, there's one particular uh, thing that uh, we're going to talk about tonight. That's a pretty big story, but we also got some big breaking stuff about Bigfoot. And you don't really hear a whole lot of new information about Bigfoot anymore uh, other than videos and things, which we got a, a video tonight that we'll talk about. Uh, but uh, pretty big, pretty big information coming down about uh, Bigfoot. We'll cover that. And we'll do that in the second segment. Not to do it right away. I got to tease people into listening to the show. Uh, we also have uh, some new information about UAPs that we'll talk about as well. Eh, not so much new information, I suppose. Uh, that's actually a story that I missed. Uh, and hopefully we'll have time as well at the end of the show. Uh, if, I, if I book through this uh, at the correct tempo, we'll have time at the end of the show for a book of the week. It's a book I can't believe I've not done yet, but uh, hopefully we'll have time to get to that tonight and i mentioned uh, paranewsinsider.com the official website of the paranormal news insider and that website also includes uh, an events page which uh, i'll update that tonight it's a little out of date i I think i updated it last before last week's show so uh, i've got to update it again tonight Uh, a few events are already passed on that Uh, still waiting i haven't gotten anything new as far as any changes are concerned uh, or updates for uh, so for new events that uh, have not put on there yet. And generally, uh, uh, you know, this time of the year is when it gets hot, these events start getting hot too and everybody starts talking about them and plugging away at them. And uh, this website at paranewsinsider.com gets a lot of traffic. It's the number one page on my site is the events page. It gets way more traffic than any other page on the website. So I know people are checking it out. People are paying attention to it. So I try to try my best to keep it updated. And there's no way that I can I can get every single event that happens. So I do rely on the promoters out there. I do rely on different people uh, to help me out with that. Because uh, once the year starts and the news is uh, really kicking into high gear, it's really hard to spent a lot of time disseminating all that information and looking for new events that are popping up, especially now with, uh, we're pretty much, I'd say most of the United States here is, is kind of in that post COVID mood. Everyone's tired of wearing masks. They've all burned them by now. Uh, they're all on clearance at every store and everyone's just, uh, out trying to be, uh, you know, back to what, what it was before, which I still kind of caution that uh, a little bit, but uh, we'll see what happens. And uh, so these events are just taken off and they're pretty much coming off without a, a hitch at this point. But I do urge people uh, to still 
uh, be a little cautious with these events, you know, plan things out ahead of time, make sure that you know if there's a cancellation uh, policy in effect for that event before you head out and uh, be safe. Don't, don't feel awkward. I know, you know, I'm late to the party of getting uh, my COVID shots, but uh, I'm not ashamed, even though I get people staring at me when I walk into a, a, sh- a store wearing a mask, people kind of give you that weird look like, why are you wearing a mask, bro? You don't need that anymore. Uh, but you do. If you're not, uh, if you haven't gotten your shot, you need to wear a mask around crowds indoors. Uh, it's not safe. It's still not safe, despite what people claim. Uh, take care of yourself and your family, for that matter, and your neighbors, whoever else. Uh, anyway, let's get back to the news. You didn't come here for life lessons. You came here for the paranormal news. So yeah, uh, events, I'll have that updated uh, tonight sometime. And we'll get into the news. Speaking of uh, updates, we got an update from a story that we talked about last week. A uh, story out of Atlanta, Georgia. The uh, wild serval that was running amok last week, uh, well, a couple weeks ago, uh, Wednesday, June 30th, uh, Christine Frank woke up to find a large serval hovering just six inches from her face. Not large, but, you know, about two feet big. Not large for a, uh, a wild African cat, per se, but, you know, we're not talking lion or tiger or anything like that, but uh, still uh, much larger than your normal house cat. Um, you know, we'll talk about savanna cats here in a second, but, you know, pretty much like a savanna cat. Those, those big cats that you've seen uh, that everybody's buying up because they think they're cool. Uh, So the cat entered the house through an open door and Christine uh, scared it off or probably scared her and she scared it off her bed and it eventually cowered in the corner. And she uh, was able, well, her husband was able to get it out of the house through another open door and get the cat to go back outside. Uh, Authorities searched for the cat, which uh, we found out was named Nala and Georgia's Department of Natural Resources eventually captured the cat. And the exotic animal, the, uh, uh, it's native to Africa, and it's illegal to own in the state of Georgia. But the capture of the cat has created a little bit of drama between the owner and the law. And people are kind of going back and forth as to what is the right thing to do and what is not the right thing to do. And there's a lot of hurt feelings on both sides of this thing. But these are exotic animals, wild cats, wild animals. Uh, This isn't a house cat, despite how this uh, the owner has been treating it. Anna Fife, who is the owner of the long-necked, long-eared serval, says uh, she had the cat while living in South Carolina, where it's legal to own the cat. And she's currently living in Georgia, attending college at the University of Georgia, where the cat escaped. So, yeah, it's in Georgia where it's illegal. Now, uh, she says that uh, Nala typically stays at her parents' house in South Carolina, but she brought the the cat to Georgia uh, to stay at her house with her for emotional support after a relationship ended. Because, you know, we all need our... African wildcat to make us feel comfortable at night. Um, in part, a uh, five statement to the press was, quote, the DNR did an amazing job at helping catch Nala and making sure everyone is safe, even though she is just a kitty and is harmless. Uh, they are not letting me keep her. Uh, they are taking her away to a sanctuary. I completely understand. They're only doing their job. I'm just devastated because Nala is my baby. I wanted to bring her over to Georgia to stay with me because I couldn't even sleep at night. She really helped me get through everything. I couldn't have gotten through any of this without her. Unquote. Um, However, Alicia Pragoski, senior legislative affairs manager with the Animal Legal Defense Fund, says, quote, wild cats are not meant to be pets, unquote. Uh, They're wild animals. And they're they're not domesticated at all, um, even though they have been kept as for pets, like I mentioned last week, for about 5,000 years. 
they're still wild animals. They they react like wild animals. Uh, granted, your your house cats can as well. You know, they hunt mice and and small animals. Uh, heck, even dogs will chase bugs and things like that. So, uh, but these these uh, cats can react a little a little bit more danger than your regular typical house cat for a few reasons. Uh, meanwhile. Fife says the cat was declawed and slept in the bed with her. So that means that it's completely uh, completely harmless, is what she said. And she also argues, she says, quote, yes, she is illegal in Georgia, but her home is in South Carolina. I think she should be taken back there. She's probably scared and confused right now, unquote. I'm confused by that statement. You brought it to Georgia. Doesn't matter where its home is. Home is actually in Africa. Not South Carolina. Uh, Kim Kelly, a legislative affairs director at the Animal Defense League, I'm sorry, Animal Defense Fund, says, quote, even if this owner has the best intentions, it is not a domesticated house cat. The cat retains natural behaviors. They have the propensity to harm other animals, unquote. Uh, Fife seems determined to get her cat back despite the plans to take it to a sanctuary, she says, quote, I will fight this the best I can. I don't think it's fair for her to go to a sanctuary. It's not a good life for her, considering her life she had before, unquote. Yikes. Um, I'm not sure about that. You know, just because she slept in a bed and you fed it uh, raw chicken and you know, play with it like it's a house cat doesn't mean that's the best life for it. It's the best life for you to have for it, not for the cat. Uh, the, these cats are, are very complicated, and most owners don't understand that, that these cats need a lot of different things that your normal house cat doesn't really need. And, you know, everybody thinks that these are, are harmless. You know, they're, they're little wild cats. How, I mean, how dangerous can they be? They're small, right? Two feet tall, they may weigh up to uh, 50, 60 pounds at most. You know, how dangerous can that really be? Well, it doesn't take too much uh, to dig into some of these things that can happen. So in December of 2001, a seven-year-old boy was attacked by a serval who had escaped its owner. The declawed cat knocked him to the ground and bit him several times on the neck before being chased off by bystanders. In June of 2000, a man was walking a serval in New York when it suddenly attacked a four-year-old boy. The boy needed plastic surgery after a bite to the neck and the face. The owner, the, the owner uh, who was walking the cat also received a number of stitches in his hand. In October of 2019, a serval was shot and killed after attacking a dog and nearly attacking a sheriff's deputy in Fairfield County, Ohio. Uh, a serval attacked a child during a birthday party at a zoo in Indiana in 2018. Uh, that's online. You can watch that. It's pretty scary. Uh, the cat was uh, fine one second, turned, and bit this uh, kid right in the face. Uh, numerous reports of servals escaping uh, private owners. Uh, numerous reports. Numerous. I mean, I think the one website had over 300 accounts, and that's just what they were able to find. Uh, from newspapers across the United States. Uh, these cats are escape artists. This is what they do. They get out of situations. They get out of uh, places that they don't want to be uh, to get out into the wild. And uh, there are heavy warnings about these cats. Um, they're cute but potentially dangerous. And I'm not saying they're all dangerous, but they're potentially dangerous. Uh, you're not, they're not that bad when they're young. The little cats, of course, are small and cute and cuddly. Um, and they're cute. I get that, uh, especially when they're smaller, but they are wild cats and they do have killing instincts. Uh, they also have a much higher bite force. I think it's like three times the amount of a normal house cat. And I don't know about you, but I've been bit by a cat. It's not fun. And I can't imagine being bit by an animal that has three times the bite force of a house cat. Uh, that's just a little bit bigger. Uh, they also have aggressive tendencies, especially if their needs are not met. Uh, they have a lot of needs, uh, dietary, physical needs. Uh, they have to be, you know, challenged. And they have to be allowed to exercise or they do become pretty ornery. 
uh, anyone who's had uh, like a husky or any other dog that uh, requires a lot of walking or exercise can attest to that, that uh, dogs and cats will get ornery if they don't get the exercise they need or they get fat, I guess, as well. So uh, these uh, cats also have the tendency to urinate on everything, everything, because they mark their territory. And there's no way to, uh, you can't train them out of that. You can try. Uh, they also hiss constantly. And all those behaviors get worse with age. And you can't unteach that. It's just how they are. They're wild cats. Uh, and I mentioned savanna cats. Uh, so savannas, um, I don't know if that's really a big craze anymore. I know a few years ago it was. I know a few decades ago it was a, a really big thing. Everybody was getting savanna cats. Uh, so these uh, savanna cat is actually a cross between an African serval and a, a domesticated house cat. So it's trying to tame down the serval uh, portion. Uh, but unfortunately, they are the by far the most abandoned cats by far uh, due to their temperament, their need for constant attention, uh, their size, and a lot of other attributes. And there's actually a grading scale I think the lower the number, the closer it is to the the wild uh, serval aspect. You know, they try to breed that out of these cats. So you may get, uh, I don't know, I think it's right. I think the lower the number, the closer. So if you got like a grade five, that's almost bred most of that wild serval out. But they're still wild. And uh, they can be dangerous. I mean, they're they're small. But uh, they again, they're wild cats. Your domesticated cat. Again, they've been domesticated. They're nothing like cats you've seen in the wild, wild cats or um, mountain lions or lions or tigers or anything like that. Obviously, those are known to be wild, but, uh, you know, a lot of wild cats, you've probably seen a lot of these things in the zoos. They look like you could just take them home and and they would just, uh, you know, chase the little milk ring around your kitchen floor like your regular house cat, but. They're not that kind of cat. They're they're wild. They're used to being in the wild. Hence the term the term wild cat. That's why they're called wild cats. Uh, and they have instincts that, uh, yeah, are a little bit different than what you're used to uh, with your common house cat. I I don't miss having cats. I had a couple of cats growing up. I always wanted cats, and then I got cats, and I'm like, why did I want cats? These things are crazy. They do whatever they want. Uh, when I want to give it attention, they go away. And when I, when I want to be left alone, they're right in my face, butts in my face, tail in my eyes. And, you know, they go crazy about midnight every night, running up and down the hallways. And they're very intelligent, too. Um, my cats figured out how to open my bedroom door when it was shut. They could uh, jump up and jiggle a handle to get in. So... Creepy, scary, and I can't imagine having a cat that would be three times that size with three times the bite force. That would have been scary. Uh, anyway, hopefully uh, that's the end of that story. Um, from what I understand, she got the cat back for a few days, and then uh, the DNR came and picked up the cat to take it to a sanctuary. But I don't know if that's going to be the end of the story or not. Um not that big of a deal, but again, this is just a warning for people that, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, I'm going to get a, a wild animal, I'm going to get an exotic pet, and, uh, you know, I have a connection with them, and I can do this, and I can do that. Well, you know, people always say that until these animals get bigger, they get stronger, and uh, we let our guard down, and they do something that uh, harms us or another individual uh, wild animals are wild animals. Uh, you can't tame a wild animal. You can try. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they're they wild for a reason. Anyway, I think you've learned a lesson for this week. Um, no alligators. That's usually what I throw my temper tantrum on. Uh, but this week, servals. Anyway, let's shift our attention from Atlanta, Georgia. We're going to go out west. Now, we're going to go back in time. We're going to jump on that time machine, uh, hopefully avoid the grandfather paradox. But we're going to jump on the time machine. We're going to go back to October 27th, 1967. Yes, it was back on that date 
uh, purportedly on that date, that a 53-second-long encounter of a purported Bigfoot near Bluff Creek in Northern California was filmed by Roger Patterson and observed by Bob Gimlin. And of course, since then, the film has been the center of not only belief, but of controversy as well. Uh, that film has uh, inspired so many different viewpoints. Uh, scientists have been involved. It's been on more television shows than anyone can imagine. I know I grew up watching uh, Leonard Nimoy's In Search Of with that fra famous uh, Frame 352 Bigfoot looking at me. And I wonder, gosh, is that real? I never knew. And I still don't know, even though I've gotten into this field that I've studied it, I've watched uh, all new uh, takes on it, high definition, um, you know, different different views of this this film and different people saying it's real, people saying it's fake. You know, there's two sides of this, and it's not it's not been solved yet. And many feel the the film provides the absolute best validation of the existence of Bigfoot, while granted a lot of other people think it's a hoax. Just a straight-up hoax of the person in a costume. And of course, the Patterson-Gimlin film has laid the foundation for pretty much every single hoaxed Bigfoot video out there. And yes, I would say 99%. I hate saying percentages, but I'd say 99% of what we see is uh, fake hoaxes. The other 1% misinterpretation. It's probably a lot more misinterpretation than that. Uh, but most of these, if not all, are fake. But they're all done in that film aspect, a creature crossing from one direction to the other, generally left to right. And, uh, you know, at a distance, we can't see it. We can't focus on it. And uh, we never get to the answer. And that's where we're at here, although this is pretty clear compared to most Bigfoot videos that we see. And uh, Roger Patterson, again, the, the man who filmed it, jumped off his horse, grabbed the, the uh, real – well, the I guess it was a real camera, a real meaning R-E-E-L, uh, grabbed the old-fashioned camera and filmed this, chased after the Bigfoot while uh, Bob Gimlin watched with a uh, rifle in hand. And he wishes that uh, now – he wishes that he would have uh, taken the shot. And I kind of almost agree with that. I mean, you'd hate to make that decision right there in the field. But looking back now, I think if he could jump in the time machine with us and go back to October 27, 1967, I think he would have just said, you know what, <laughs> I'm just going to pull the trigger. We're going to find out what happens. Um, and everything would have changed. Maybe I wouldn't be sitting here talking about this uh, story. Or doing the Paranormal News Insider. Who knows? Anyway, Patterson maintained that the film was legitimate despite uh, a small handful of potential evidence against it. Uh, all the way up to his death from Hodgkin's lymphoma in 1972. Uh, Bob Gimlin has kept a low profile for many years until writing the uh, speaking circuit at conferences and conventions in the last, well, I don't know how long, a decade or two. And is uh, got that pretty low profile because uh, he really didn't make any money from it. Uh, he's maintained to his day also that the film is legitimate, despite, again, he didn't make any money from the film. Uh, his name attached to it also brought him a lot of strain on his marriage and personal life. And like I said, he kind of avoided everything uh, up until probably the last decade or so. Uh, he's been out and about a lot at uh, a number of events around the United States talking about the, not just the video, but Bigfoot in general. And of course, a cast of characters have made claims that they were part of the hoax and that a suit was used by Patterson to fool Gimlin. And over the years, a variety of statements have been made in an effort to discredit the Patterson-Gimlin film, despite a lack of evidence. Uh, now, new stuff has surfaced here in July uh, probably came out in the end of June, actually, of uh, some new information. And a claim by Richter Riolo, who's a cast member of Spike TV's $10 million Bigfoot bounty. Now, he posted some uh, information online 
that there is a video that exists that contains scandalous statements about the video. Uh, in part, his post read, quote, Russell Accord has recorded a confession video of Bob Gimlin and plans on releasing it after Bob and his wife have passed away. Russ told me it is scandalous, unquote. So I, I, tell you, I, I don't like the sound of that at all. Uh, if you have information, what's the point? If you do it before someone passes away or after, well, I think the, you have an advantage holding on to something and doing it after because then that person is no longer around to argue or say that's out of context or, or anything else. Um, so it's, it stinks, stinks like a, uh, like a Sasquatch. Uh, Thomas Steenberg decided to call Gimlin the following morning uh, after reading the story and to get a little clarification on the claims. And he stated, quote, at 930 the following morning, I called Bob, Bob myself. Uh, Bob hadn't heard any of this because it was a brand new story. And I asked Bob straight out, is there a video of you making a confession about the Patterson Gimlin film? If this is true, yes or no. And he said emphatically, no, it's not happened. And he doesn't know why Accord is saying this, but he planned on having a harsh phone conversation with him that day, uh, unquote. Uh, the plot also thickened as Steve Coles, the Squatch detective, made a statement on his YouTube channel. Uh, strangely, the video of which is now marked private, so I wasn't able to verify this. Uh, he explained that Richter is not lying that Russell also had told him that Gimlin had said the film is not what everyone thinks it is. Uh, comments on Steve's video included finding Bigfoot's James Bobo Fay, who stated in short that Gimlin had made a deathbed cowboy promise to Roger Patterson about the film, but he never, never elaborated on what that meant. Uh, this cowboy promise uh, might be the fact that despite dying of cancer, Patterson wanted to go back out and get proof of Bigfoot with Gimlin uh, once he felt better. And uh, he and Gimlin had not gotten along. Again, Gimlin got really no financial compensation for the, the uh, film, even though Patterson had taken in and uh, got a decent amount of money for back then uh, for parading around with this and sold the rights to different people. And, you know, Gimlin kind of ducked away from all that, didn't really – wasn't getting money and didn't really care. So they made amends uh, right when uh, Patterson was about to pass. So um, really that's kind of what a lot of people think that this uh, deathbed cowboy promise was all about. That uh, once Patterson felt better, that he and, and Gimlin would go out and look for proof. Of course, unfortunately, that never happened. And uh, Patterson passed away. And despite these claims, there is no change to the validity of the film. And again, it's sad to know that uh, when Bob Gimlin passes away, uh, there will be a, a lot of people ready to step in and make claims about what they know about the film to jockey for attention and fame, pretty much. And, you know, then he's not there to defend himself anymore. Just, you know, when Patterson passed away, the same kind of a similar thing happened uh, with all this. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to get ugly. And obviously, uh, then, uh, with, uh, Gimlin, if, when, when he does pass that, uh, yeah, he's not gonna be able to defend himself. And the film is, uh, probably going to lose a little credibility at that point. And Gimlin, if you're, in case you're wondering, he's going to turn 90 years old, uh, just a week prior to the film's 54th anniversary this October. I still walk around. It still looks pretty good, I think, for, for being 89. Uh, the amazing thing about the Patterson-Gimlin film, uh, to me, is uh, you know it, it took place 54 years ago. And it's either all or nothing with this. Now, with a, a lot of ghost and UFO videos, uh, you might have a UFO. You might have a balloon. You might have a reflection. You might have an airplane. Uh, could be a hoax. Could be a lot of different things. And even with uh, Bigfoot videos, which we got a story coming up here that will kind of reinforce what I'm trying to say here, uh, it could be anything. It may be a Bigfoot. It might not be a Bigfoot. It could be a person in a costume. could be a hunter. could be anything. 
but you just don't know. Uh, a ghost video could be a hoax with CGI, could be fishing line, pulling a door shut, uh, could be other things, fooling the viewer, could be wind, could be misinterpretation, or it could be a genuine ghost. Who knows? So most of these videos have multiple potential explanations. Uh, UFO videos, the same, uh, you know, as, as ghosts and, you know, all cryptid things could be multiple different things. Uh, but the Patterson-Gimlin film, I mean, this uh, the the really cool thing about this is that it's either a person in a suit or it's the real deal. And that's it. There's no third option. It's one or the other. And granted, you get into uh, if it is a person in the costume who hoaxed it, did uh, Patterson and or Gimlin both know about it? But, uh, yeah, that uh, debate goes on. Uh, so question in chat is, uh, how long is the original film? Well, there's actually uh, two films. Uh, the first one is 53 seconds long. Uh, it's chopped up into a few bits because um, I believe he stopped the camera once or maybe twice as he chased the Bigfoot. There's also a second film that was made that uh, they went back and shot film of the tracks. This was shown, I believe a day or two after the actual event and was never seen again. It's gone. No one's seen it. It's just disappeared. And the original film, I think it was longer than 53 seconds. I'm thinking about it. I think it was like a minute and 20 some odd seconds. Uh, all that remains is this 53 seconds. And we've seen it stabilized. We've seen it in high definition. Uh, last year it was uh, restabilized in high def and it's probably the, the best You've ever seen when I watched it, it looked it didn't even look real anymore. It just, you know, because you're so used to seeing it jumping around, uh, uh, you know, on the on the film and everything because, you know, he's running, he's moving. He fell down trying to film this thing. Um, and it was the film of of a, of a century, pretty much. And, uh, yeah, we're not left with the original. Uh, there's a lot of debate about that. I think there were seven copies made of this uh, this initial film, but uh, yeah, it's just it's either all or nothing. It's either a Bigfoot or it's not. There's no in between with this thing, which is which is pretty cool. You think about it. There's no other there's no other paranormal evidence out there that I've seen that's could be all or nothing. Yeah, this is it. So if this does get uh, Bob Gimlin does come out and say, look, you know, I've been fooling people for a long, long time. Here's the here's the reality. I made a promise, but uh, I want the public to know, boy, would that be deflating. And that would pretty much uh, cast uh, the the last doubt on Bigfoot being any kind of real creature. Um, I mean, there's so many things against it. But uh, this video is uh, it's kind of like the the Loch Ness monster. You know, anybody who sees a wave, it's automatically the Loch Ness monster. That legend continues, even if there's DNA evidence that shows there is no monster in the Loch at all. People still believe in it, and I think Bigfoot's going to be continue to believe be believed in as long as this video is given hope of surviving. And you tear this apart, um, I'm sure the legend will continue. Uh, but it's sure not going to be the same. Sure not going to be the same. So speaking of videos of Bigfoot, uh, there's a recent one that's been uh, making the rounds. Usually they don't get very popular, but this one has been uh, kind of kicking around for a couple of weeks, and it's gained a little bit of momentum. Uh, it started out as just a photograph, and I was a little skeptical because the they uh, talked about a video and the video never surfaced for over a well over a week. And so I figured, and eh, this is not what it's all cracked up to be. This is going to go away. Uh, but the video came out just a few days ago. So uh, I was kind of interested in this and it took a different turn. Um, it's, uh, it's from the Cass river in Michigan. And a person was uh, apparently kayaking on the river Sound like there was a few people actually when you listen to the audio. Now uh, they were kayaking on the river when they took a photograph and then took a short video that is uh, just under five seconds in length. Uh, the person then sent it to their cousin 
who sent it out to other random people. And when I heard that story, uh, that's usually a sign as well as a hoax because people are trying to disassociate themselves with the video. So that automatically, if somebody can find out that this video is a hoax, they're automatically placing the blame on somebody else, even if that person doesn't exist. Uh, I've seen that quite a bit over the years of the disassociation. You know, a, a friend's friend or a cousin's brother's, uncle's, sister's, mother's uh, ice cream uh, vendor that comes around the block. Uh, his uncle sent me this video kind of situation here. Um, so the person sent it to their cousin and then they sent it out to random people. And these random people who are never named uh, claim that the image and video show a Bigfoot either carrying a baby Bigfoot across the river or a Bigfoot carrying a deer. And I'll show you, uh, throw the picture in the chat room real quick, real gently. And to me, I don't know. I don't want to spoil it. I'll see what you guys see uh, in the picture here. Uh, there it is. And we'll upload that. And uh, so this is just the image that was sent. You can click on the image there in the chat room. I don't think it's going to make it much bigger than that, but uh, that's the picture. And to me, that definitely looks like a brown blob squatch. Yes, that's my best uh, guess. There is a blob squatch. You can't tell what it is. You can see shapes. You can tell it's somebody walking through the water, but you can't tell what it is. Is it a Bigfoot? Is it a hunter? Is it a person wearing just all brown? You can't tell. It's really difficult to tell. Uh, so something or someone crossing a river at a distance, and that's about it. Now, the video uh, shows, uh, again, uh, pretty much picks up right after this This. Uh, the scene that you're seeing. Uh, so you, you see the creature continuing to walk. Uh, the, uh, the camera kind of moves around a little bit left to right, then all of a sudden zooms in. And, uh, you know, the camera goes left to right, kind of, so you can't really get your, your eyes fixated on what's you're trying to watch it. And it's very difficult to watch it. Uh, even when you slow it down, you're really not seeing much detail. Then the camera zooms in. And just as we are about able to fix our eyes on what it is, the video, of course, abruptly stops, which, again, to me is uh, another sign of a hoax when you get just enough information to find out that you can't really see what you're looking at. Now, the Rocky Mountain Sasquatch organization put out a three minute and 53 second, uh, very choppy video breakdown. Now, the audio is very hard to, to follow. They crammed it all together. Very hard to fall. Uh, they do claim that they're on the fence with the evidence since it's not clear what we're looking at. Uh, the video was shot with a cell phone. They say uh, 880 by 656 resolution at 30 frames per second. Not very good. Um, I'm not sure. That's not a very good phone. And the video is very short. Um, yeah. The, the case for this being a Bigfoot also includes the fact that the creature is moving under power lines, which I didn't really notice at first, uh, which means it may be moving through an area that are clear cut. So uh, lots of areas with power lines are clear cut, so uh, animals will travel through those areas. Uh, I know where I live, uh, that's where you see the, the, the fox come through there, the deer come through there, the, the uh, coyotes will also use that. As a, as a means of transportation. Um, it's a lot easier than cutting through people's backyards. And granted, uh, humans are smart enough to do this as well. And some people say this looks like a hunter carrying a deer. However, that would be a poacher since deer season is not in the middle of summer in Michigan. Uh, the video doesn't have really a date attached to it, but uh, I would say probably at the end of June. But this detail is missing on this. And some people say it looks like a person carrying a dog as well. Uh, but again, this is what you're left with. A video that you can't make out enough information. It's just ambiguous enough to let anyone draw their own conclusion. 
without any real evidence. Now, some people pointed out like, hey, why don't you uh, figure out how deep that water is? And you can tell how tall it is. Well, that's good. But rivers, especially uh, this river and in, in specifically, is going to change with uh, even a little bit of rainfall or a little bit of dryness. This is connected to a lot of other rivers that go end up going to the uh, Great Lakes. So this is going to fluctuate quite a bit probably. So you're not really going to get an accurate representation. Granted, you could use this photograph uh, from that area and at least get a uh, kind of a ballpark figure by using the vegetation of the background. Uh, I don't believe in it. Uh, I, again, I, I don't think it. it just seems like a setup. I agree 100%. Uh, because of the story, and you take – when you get evidence like this, you, you take the picture, you take the video, but you also listen to the story, and you look at the, the area. Now, this river uh, is never really out in the country anywhere. It's uh, surrounded by farms. Uh, there's not really a whole lot of thick vegetation uh, there's a few parts here and there that I've followed that uh, eh, it's got some foresty area, but mostly farms are backed up to this river. Uh, there's not a whole lot of places for creatures like this to hide. Can't discount that, though, um, but it's not your typical area that you would uh, assimilate with a Bigfoot-like creature uh, due to uh, a lot of cities around that area. But I don't know exactly where it was filmed, so I can't really speak to it, but... Uh, from what I've searched up and down that river, um, what I think I know where it's at is probably not uh, not really suitable for a large bipedal creature to be raising a young, potentially large bipedal creature. And again, this video is pretty much in the footprint of the Patterson-Gimlin film. Here is a creature moving left to right. It's just far enough that we can't get enough detail to figure out what it is. The camera's moving all over the place. So, yeah, that's where, to me, it's a setup. And it's probably, uh, you know, somebody in a costume or somebody just doing this. And, hey, I'll send it to my cousin to see if I can fool him. And little do I know, he's going to try to make this into a, a viral video. But, you know, it, it just speaks to... The fact I probably wouldn't have talked about that had we not had this other story uh, about the Patterson Gimlin film, but I think it's uh, very, very interesting nonetheless. And we'll move from uh, Michigan. We're going to go to, well, I guess Washington, D.C. Well, I guess maybe San Diego, California for that matter. UFO news this week. And of course, last week I talked about the UAP report that came out at the end of June. And one story that I sidestepped last week uh, out of the hopes that it would actually evolve, which it really didn't, um, that involved more leaked footage of the USS Omaha incident in July of 2019. On June 29th, Jeremy Corbell released grainy night footage of three blinking objects in the night sky on Twitter along with a TMZ one-hour special on the Fox network. I didn't see that, but apparently I didn't miss much either from what I hear. Uh, many were quick to comment that the objects were blinking with strobe lights, and you could tell that those were on affixed to the underbody or the tail, and the frequency is in regulation with the Federal Aviation Administration. So I always thought that was weird how UFOs are always filmed with strobe lights. Why would an alien spacecraft travel all this distance just to comply with the Federal Aviation Administration? It's just weird. Um, you know, different, uh, there are different countries that have different strobe rates, uh, but the, all the UFOs seem to adhere to the, the United States. I don't, I don't get it. Weird. And a little quicker here in the military as well, slightly quicker, which strange that these actually adhere to that. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, the lights were purportedly filmed by the onboard Viper team, which if you're going to have any kind of name, uh, I think Viper is pretty, pretty cool, I, I think. It sounds like uh, G.I. Joe-ish, but uh, Viper stands for Visual Information Personnel Team. 
And the team uh, filmed the, the lights from the deck of the USS Omaha, although the Pentagon has yet to confirm the legitimacy of this video. And it's again, I think it's kind of funny how these videos are always released and then later confirmed by the government. Uh, no one's getting arrested. No one's being court-martialed. No one's being questioned. Uh, it, you know, if this was any other kind of leak of any kind of uh, semi-classified information, there would be a lot of people in a lot of trouble, and this stuff would be swept under the carpet pretty quick. But it seems like they almost want this stuff to make it to the news. They're basically handing it to people who are putting it out into the media for them, which I find strange. Uh, so this is just the latest information to pour in about the uh, July 2019 incident, uh, where it said as many as 100 unknown objects had surrounded and sometimes swarmed the USS Omaha and at least eight other U.S. Navy air sh or ships. Uh, so these airplanes or aircraft or whatever they were, were, were uh, all over the place and identified by multiple forms of technology, including video. Uh, this latest video released is a perfect argument to claims made that there could be sensor errors or radar glitches, which are known issues, which is kind of funny because that's what was going on there for a while. Then all of a sudden, this video just pops up out of nowhere to take that argument away. Uh, other video of the purported incidents show uh, the glowing green triangles flying through the sky. We uh, talked about that a few weeks ago and uh, undoubtedly caused by a filming technique known as bokeh, uh, bokeh, however you want to pronounce it. I don't care. It's up to you. Uh, where the angle of the lens creates these shapes. And it's pretty much my opinion that that's caused uh, by accident where you're filming through a monocular with a cell phone. And when they don't line up correctly, that's when you're going to get those strange shapes. It's pretty much what happens when you're filming or taking photographs. You can do this yourself. It's not hard. Uh, just look it up. B-O-K-E-H. Look it up. Go on YouTube. Watch a video or three or 20. You'll end up down that rabbit hole pretty quick. Uh, I know I did. Uh, but it's a pretty popular technique in photography, movie making. Uh, you see it a lot. Once you see it, once you understand what it is, you'll see it all over the place uh, in photography and, and filmography. It's, it's everywhere. And again, the blinking lights of the objects identify them pretty clear as airplanes. And my biggest issue with this, other than the fact that it in no way, to me, corroborates anything, despite the, the claims that they make, um, there's always a focus on UFOs or the intention of alien-powered spacecraft. And much of what we see in these videos is pretty much misinterpretation, along with the, the evidence of uh, balloons, for that matter. So only one case out of the 144. Um, but I think there's more than that or distant aircraft, which has been identified by people such as Mick West, uh, breaking down a lot of this, uh, this data. And you never hear anybody react to that. They sidestep it and just say, well, no, this thing was traveling at 47 million miles an hour. There's no way. Okay. Not that fast, but still 14,000 miles an hour. And, uh, they claim that some of these objects are going through water and not slowing down and different things like that. Claims that are, are not substantiated by any of the evidence we've seen. It's almost like their beliefs. And these stories are now spiraling into events, which uh, makes people wonder why no actions have been taken. And this is one of my biggest questions. So why were there no jets or helicopters launched if the vessels were under surveillance or under attack, which is pretty much what they were? These objects were close enough that if they had weaponry, they could fire on the military. So why were there no measures taken to protect American assets or the soldiers on board? If this was uh, that big of a deal that we had to write a report, we had to send a, a big thing to Washington, we had to have a, a special operations team film it and uh, do all this stuff on board. We're paying these people all this extra money to do that. Why were there no actions taken other than documenting things and videotaping the events? doesn't make sense to me. It's not the military. We're not talking about an Instagram influencer or YouTuber. We're talking about the United States military, the U.S. Navy. 
And I find uh, the lack of action questionable at best. Uh, they didn't launch anything. I mean, we're in U.S. territory here. We're not in international waters. You're just off the coast of San Diego, California. You have every right to launch whatever you want to go find what's going on. Um, you know, we've had that happen in uh, on American soil in, in uh, Alaska pretty much a few times a year. Uh, you don't always read about it. You don't always hear about it. Uh, but the Russians are constantly evading our airspace with jets, and we launch things out to uh, let them know, hey, we can match your technology with our technology, and we see you, and we're not going to let you bully us. Uh, however, even in our own waters, we're just going to sit there and watch these things fly around and not do anything other than videotape. You couldn't even send uh, flares out or anything. I mean, send flares out to see what, what happens at, at little Send a helicopter out uh, at best, something. They did nothing, which is just unheard of. Uh, it's not going to cause a war. It's not going to cause anything to happen because it's our territory. We can do what we want. Uh, they blow up stuff out there all the time. Uh, if you live anywhere near San Diego, you know that they blow up stuff off that coast all the time. They use live ordnance out there all the time. So I don't understand why we couldn't go and investigate Send a little helicopter, send a jet to fly through this and see what this debris could be. A little, get a little closer. Send cameras out there. Do something. Uh, where's satellite footage? You know, where's all this other information that we should have at our fingertips? And uh, while Corbel and others like uh, Luis Elizondo, I know they claim they want to get to the truth. They want these pieces of data to form the truth. Uh, but in reality... They want the truth to be UFOs, and it's pretty much nothing else. And they twist a lot of the evidence, a lot of the information to suit their beliefs, and it's uh, infecting everybody in the UFO world. Uh, there is an investment to their work, and that investment only pays out if these stories turn out to be uh, able to convince other people that they're UFOs or you know, out-of-this-world sense of UFOs. And that's a little scary because the reality could be this could be foreign technology this could be our own technology uh spying on us and spying on our our uh, military and to me that's more dangerous than uh, a probe ufo uh maybe but uh you know that technology is out of there but uh let's start looking at near earth uh, explanations first before we start thinking about uh little green guys flying around in uh, tic-tac-shaped UFOs, uh, I think, to be a little bit more credible to the world. Anyway, uh, happy belated birthday to Lauren Coleman. Uh, Lauren Coleman, uh, yesterday, July 12th, turned 74 years old. And since we talked about the Patterson-Gimlin film of 1967, uh, we're gonna, I want to have a book of the week, which I haven't had in a while. It's been like a month, it feels like. Uh, so the book of the week this week is uh, a book that I read. Uh, it's probably one of the first handful of books that I read on the topic of cryptozoology uh, that got me involved. Probably the second of his books. And I'm pretty sure I read three of his before I even read anybody else's stuff when I first got into this field a long time ago. Um, and I think back then it was brand new. If I'm not mistaken, actually, no, this came out after I was in, in the field. Now that I think about it, I don't even have my own copy anymore. I bought a copy. Uh, I got this. I read it in the bookstore. I shouldn't say that out loud, but I did. Uh, then I got it from the library. Finally got my own copy about a year after it came out. And it's one of a handful of books that I've uh, let people borrow, which is why I don't let people borrow books anymore, that I've never gotten back. And it's on my little list here. Here's my list of books that I want to get. Probably it's up to 116. That's a lot of books. Uh, it's, I should re-rank that because it's pretty. should be pretty high up. Anyway, Bigfoot with the exclamation point. Bigfoot, the true story of apes in America is our book of the week this week. The book came out in 2003, 288 pages long, and it does talk about the Patterson-Gimlin film at uh, pretty good length. And I do remember 
Uh, I learned quite a bit about that, a lot more than, granted, back then there wasn't, I guess there was enough information online about the Patterson-Gimlin film, but the internet uh, was still kind of taking shape back then. It uh, wasn't uh, anything of what it is now, but uh, a very, very solid book on the history of Bigfoot and uh, a very solidly written book. Uh, Lauren has a, a great way of weaving things together. As uh, an excellent writer, keeps you captivated, and uh, the book goes kind of from the past to the present to keep you guessing and wondering what's happening. Uh, granted, again, that's a uh, 18-year-old book by now, but it's still relevant. And I do enjoy reading the older stuff uh, because it's uh, closer to when things happen, and it's a little less inundated with new things uh, that sometimes get in the way, new beliefs and new uh, thought patterns that people have. Uh, but it does uh, talk about a variety of topics in the Bigfoot arena, everything you could think of. Yeah, so if you're a fan of Bigfoot at all, this is a book that you got to have. Uh, I need it to back on my bookshelf for sure. Bigfoot, The True Story of Apes in America by Lauren Coleman. And uh, definitely, yeah, if you're cryptozoology in general, let alone if you're into Bigfoot, you've got to read this book. It's, uh, it's going to give you tons of information uh, from decades of, of research. And this goes back to the early days of uh, Jerry Crew, all the way through the Patterson-Gimlin film, uh, pretty much up to current things that were happening. Uh, I know it talks about different bipedal creatures all across the United States uh, from, uh, was it the, I always forget, Skunk Ape. Uh, Florida to uh, different ones that uh, have occurred through the United States over the decades. Um, and he looks at it uh, kind of objectively as uh, best you can as a cryptozoologist and uh, kind of tries to get to the the uh, the heart of what Bigfoot might be. And I tell you, uh, again, it, uh, I really had no care or concern for Bigfoot at all when I first started. Uh, but this this book here, I remember kind of opened my mind to the possibility that maybe something big and unknown is out there. Uh, so this book kind of changed my perspective on the whole Bigfoot thing. Uh, I think I'm a little bit more skeptical now than what I was back then uh, on Bigfoot. Um, but I, I know uh, that book turned the corner for me when, when I wanted to know a little bit more about it and I, I wanted to read it from somebody who had done tons of research and uh, Lauren Coleman is obviously the, the go-to person here in, in the United States with it uh, pretty much referred to as a living legend in cryptozoology, um, and especially with Bigfoot. So it was the, the book everyone kept pointing me toward that I, you got to read. Uh, and uh, I was blown away. I think I spent like two and a half hours in the bookstore uh, with uh, leery-eyed people looking at me. And sadly, I think the bookstore that I read that and went out of business wasn't my fault. Maybe it was my fault. I don't know. Um, but yes, Bigfoot, the true story of apes in America. And you can find this book uh, pretty much anywhere books are sold. You should still be able to find it on bookshelves. Uh, I know I got my copy from a used bookstore. And every time I go, they never have it. Uh, people, I mean, you're smart if you you find this book. Just buy it up. Pay full price. I'll probably get mine online now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, but it's got Bigfoot. The word Bigfoot on the front cover with an exclamation point. Can't miss it. Uh, it's probably one of the best-selling Lauren Coleman books next to ABC. Uh, but, uh, yeah, got to get that one. That's the book of the week this week. Lauren Coleman's Bigfoot. True story of apes in America. Yeah, do they have bookstores anymore? I don't think they exist. I guess you got to get it on Amazon. Um, question in chat. Any investigations planned for this year? No, I don't actually have anything in cement or in concrete, but uh, there might be a chance that I might head out to a few places later on this year. I was planning on potentially going somewhere this week since I'm uh, out of work for this week, uh, but uh, the weather all around me is just pretty much in chaos. Uh, it's actually storming outside right now, so uh, I was planning on going kayaking at a couple local places where... There's a lot of sightings, uh, but I've changed my mind due to the uh, 
potential for severe weather, which we've had off and on the last four or five days. So that being said, again, visit Amazon, check out uh, Bigfoot, the true story of apes in America. Get that book. Read about the Patterson-Gimlin film before uh, who knows what could happen in the next few days or weeks about that. And uh, with that, I hope to see you next week. You never know what uh, things could bring. Uh, but I do hope to see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and keep the rain off of there as well. And always keep your mind slightly ajar. Above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.